This is the Perfectly Mentored Podcast with your host, Jason Portnoy. My man, Nick, welcome to the show. <laughs> What's up, my guy? What's up, my guy? Um, I want to talk, you know, you and I spoke a little bit offline about this right, just right before, but I want to go into it a little bit. You're a new agency and building that out. What's that been like so far? And what do you attribute your scaling success to as an agency right now? Okay. Short, quick, easy answer is doing good business and not being a fucking, not being fucking shady. That's the easiest way of explaining to it. And, and all those type of people exist in our business. Some may say, some may say. And you're the you know, unicorn. <laughs> I, like to, I like to claim so. No, it's, so the, what you're alluding to is we merged with one of my best friends, agencies, Chase Diamond, who's been on this plenty of times. Um, he was the co-founder of Balance Labs. And Chase and I actually got started early, early on in the game because he was doing cold email. So can you imagine this dude was trying to inbox and scale through cold email? And I was like, listen, bro, you're way too good at what you do. You need to take your talents to the back end, the white hat side, for lack of a better term. And believe it or not, I gave him uh, one course from Ezra on like his, e something, something to do with the email. He made one a little bit ago and he, he loved it. He absolutely loved everything about it. And he's Orange County based. So, you know, I'm Orange County based, California. Um, we have a great new studio in LA. But we, we were coming to a point of going like where he was at in his life and where the business was is they're on a fantastic trajectory, great two years of building it. And he, he knew that with the reputation I've been focusing on for like six, seven years, that it might be able to pull in some, some big brands, might be able to pull in some, another source of uh, lead gen, which it did. And thankfully, um, this goes to show like putting out content and actually being on the right path of the more you give palms down. One, one former teacher of mine, uh, Jordan Palmer, is like, if you approach with a palms down approach and you aren't asking for anything in return, it's going to come back to you. And, this is the perfect way of explaining that. So Chase came along and he was able to, to build out the email side. I would say, we'll say retention, if you will. And then we found this diamond in the rough. I know I've been posting a lot of content about our new studio, right? On a diamond in the rough, his name is Joe Salvatore. And he came out of Buffalo, New York. Young buck from Buffalo, dude. He came out of nowhere. And if you talk to him, you need to set aside 45 minutes at least for him to get a point across. Because the man is long-winded because he loves telling stories. Um, but that, that part of the content, which you and I just went back and forth on, is we knew email is very important for bottom of funnel or at least retention. Um, everybody loves talking Facebook. It's always sexy. That's where we stay. We stay specialized. We aren't venturing too much into, into TikTok, which I would love to go back and forth with you on after this. Um, and then obviously the content side. So successful teams like, uh, uh, I think it's Chamber Media, and you have Chandler at the, at the Welling Media, and then you have VizCap, and then you have Need6. There's so many of these content shops out there, and I understand why they're doing it. I really, really do, because if you have good structures in your accounts, if you have good campaigns, the only way you're gonna get exponential growth is shoot it yourself. So we, we're doing that. We're building out that team, and right now, I think he's scheduled for this month alone, about 15 contracts out. So it took us one month to kind of get up to, get up to speed, so we'll see how it goes. Why was it so important for you to become a full service agency, right? There's so many people, like you were doing well, Facebook ads, maybe email because it's the, it's like the partner to it. But now why go into the content creation game as well? Well, I think you kind of alluded to it, like, why, why would we do it? Stability. 
plain and simple. I left Common Thread at a point where I've never been an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been given res- uh, authority within an existing organization. And personally, I'm very risk adverse. So my, my main partner, Jake, is he only knows one speed, which is go. There's no slow down. He just goes one speed. And so we, we started seeing first tracking issues, specifically on Apple and Safari. Then we all experienced what happened this month, CCPA in California. That's a simple toggle. And that's a, that's a law that was passed in California. Why oh, a simple toggle. It was literally a button in our account. Literally yes. A yes. But nobody understood what it was. <laughs> I know. Even to this day, I did a, I did a quick little report on it. CCPA essentially is it's the GDP. It's the GDPR from, for a California perspective. Yep. You gotta have a way to delete the data. You gotta have a way for them to opt out. Um, so we, we started seeing, okay, paid social is sexy. Can you tell me any other industry where you have brands or, 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 or partners that hop around as, as fast as they joined on? That's Facebook, right? A client comes in and it's very difficult for them to not feel as though they want to get a wandering eye and go somewhere else. Email, you don't really rotate your email team because oftentimes it's a secondary thought. Like you're not going, I wonder who can do email better than what I'm currently getting. And right now I'm very, very thankful to claim that we got 20% plus of overall revenue from email. People don't leave when you're doing that well on, on earned already campaigns at a fixed rate. Um, and then the content side, why it's so important is because if, if we're going to scale any sort of our own paid, we have to be able to invest and shoot our own content because we got we to kind of eat our own dog food, if you will. And you also have all your tentacles in, right? So it's harder for them to leave you from a Facebook side of things if they're doing the content and the email with you as well, right? Exactly. Like what they're going to leave you for like a 0.5 X difference in, in, in ROAS, you know, just to be like, and lose email and their content. It's not worth it. So it's a smart move. Yeah. It took, it took us a long time, but I think we are, we're, we're still finding good partnerships. And I think we talked about this yesterday. I think I tweeted about this of it's, it's not really what you're doing with the partner. It's like what partner you're choosing is more important because you and I are both in the space of, we love to have our own brands. We enjoy working with other brands. That's kind of like our, our thing that gets us going, but it's choosing the brand that actually can take action on the stuff that we recommend or the stuff that we're able to execute for. Um, it's been something that I've been really going through. We, we literally just fired five people, five brands, sorry, not people, five brands because they either didn't want to scale or they were just okay with where they're at. Have you gone through something like that? Yeah, but I was just going to say, let's have an honest conversation about that because you could have some agency owners that are listening where you're at in your career and, and to a point where I'm at in my career, it becomes a lot easier to say no to the money. Agreed. But when you're starting off, it, I, I'm very empathetic to the agency starting off where they, they take on the difficult client. So what would be your advice for the agency owner listening right now who's starting off and you're like, man, it's not worth the headache. It's not, I know it's a nice paycheck, but it's not worth it when they're like, but it's a paycheck. No, you're, I think that's, thank you for calling that out. Thank you for stopping that because you and I both know we went through some shit clients just because we didn't need that paycheck. So for instance, those brands where you take on that, you know, for a fact that they, they are not going to be around forever when their business is set up, the type of product they're running, the seasonality of it, but you know, you need to cover overhead for these next three months, or are you trying to bring on a, a junior that you have to take that contract? Yeah, I fully understand that. And I think it took me four years of content and a, a partnership with the founder to really go, we're going to be able to pick and choose who we want to work with because we know our style. 
you and I can go back and forth on like niching down or being specific to the type of content that, that you know you can do or the type of strategies that you know you can do. Not everybody wants to jump on a call every week. We found that out. Not everybody wants to approve content. A lot of people do want to approve content, but not everybody. So we started realizing what is our organizational structure that actually works for some brands. And what, what, we, what we found out real quick is if you give them, and I always talk, come back to this, if you let them know what had happened, what is currently happening and what's going to happen, you will never have to jump on a call or you never have to explain to them fully what is going on. Because those are the three questions that everybody's wondering. What did you just do? What are you doing and what are you about to do? depending on those, those last two answers. So you're right. I don't think you can say no to every brand. You got to be realistic where you're at. And I got, I got somebody reached out to me yesterday saying, Hey, I'm really, really good at Google. I'm trying to find a Facebook client for me, but I, no one's really, no one's really doing it. How do you get so many of these brands? I go, well, I put out content as much as I can. Um, I'm willing to take on brands and, and really just put in the work to see if it, it will even work out, but you have to be totally okay with going, Hey, I don't think I can make this work. Like I'm going to give my best. And if you want to opt out, but I'm definitely going to work my ass off. I don't know if I can win for that. And I've had far too many of those damn conversations. Yeah. And I mean, let's, so I want to talk, just jump really back, back. And we're, we're going to keep jumping around here, but for the content thing that just came across my mind, yeah. what type of content, like, so you have, it just goes back to our conversation right now. A lot of brands, they may not be the right fit because A, they don't have any content to, to produce, right? So that, that's number one. So let's talk content for a second. What type of content is currently doing well and how much content should a brand be producing? Okay, so why I feel as though I can speak on this topic specifically is for two reasons. One, we own a content creation company that just does edits. They don't pick up a camera, they don't shoot. And we own a company that shoots and actually executes content. It really depends on what you're trying to shoot. So for instance, we have a, a workout brand that when you analyze their ads, the products that they were selling was not educational enough and in use of product close up. So we knew at that time that brand needed explaining videos from someone that's an expert and in use product because you need to show what? Functionality and practicality and then you talk about price point. So for, for instance, every, it's case by case on the content creation side, but on content that's working right now, agitation of problem, uh, simplicity of use, unboxing, and user-generated content, those four are like, I would say, templatized what goes first. So we have another brand that uh, sells t-shirts, plain simple t-shirts. How many times can you reposition a plain white tee, right? Well, okay, you can talk about the, the buttery soft feel. You can talk about how it lays on the hips. You can talk about the hem. So now we're trying to find out like benefits and features that's specific to a consumer that they did their surveys that go like, oh, they're buying it because the way it lays on their hips or they're buying it because when they raise their hand up, it doesn't show their belly, right? So the longness of it. So we're actually showing real life practical content in our shoots. On the editing side, it's literally a volume play. So brands like No Limit Creative and, and Design Pickle and Constant Creative, the reason why these exist is because you just need volume. Because you and I both know it's never going to be the same thing that works. The, the, same, the same structure is going to work. I love a good split screen. I love a good, what we call like a, a square zoom out. So it'll populate four times of like a UGC and then it'll either zoom into one big screen or it'll zoom out fully and start talking about products specifically. That's probably my go-to right now. Top but, but I, I, 
it's funny because as you're saying that, I have, I remember so many conversations with clients being like, okay, tell us our top five performing ads so we could replicate them with different images. I'm like, that's like saying which video went viral and can we just reshoot it with the same script with different people and it will go viral again. That's not how it works. Like, like you just, just give me everything. When they're like, how much content should I give you? I'm like, I won't say stop. Just, just keep going. Keep going. Flood me with it. I, I don't care. It's, um, it's really true. You, even we have we have a jewelry brand like on jewelry you really can do two things you can show up close of what the product is and then you can show like lifestyle right you can go product or you go lifestyle so we have a nice progression of we every single time to keep this the consistency coming and the volume coming we go you need to take three type of shots every time you need to do product on product on model product alone and then product in box those three we'll run those three from that our best performing one all we're gonna do is turn it into a GIF, which is between three to five seconds, put some sound over it. So they, now we're serving differently in the feed, not just an image, it's a video. From that video, we'll progress into uh, the, the piece back on model in motion. So we go model in motion. From there, we go into like someone talking about it. So that's the progression we have with that brand, but you have to kind of build that for every single one of them. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see in e-com? right now like what are some of the biggest mistakes brands or store owners are making oh my god i literally can talk about this forever so rom the romanticism about a specific ad unit or a specific word being used now i know we're in a moment right now which is blm and, and the, the the cancel culture that we're currently living in people really really are on edge and they're like looking for a reason to call something out i'm, I'm very aware of that and i'm and not neglecting that and so there are some specific words that you cannot use because it's a trigger word for a specific demographic. But this ad, this word is not living forever. So if you get something that comes across your feed and go like, why did they use um, together versus all, all in one, right? Like why did they use that phrase? We don't use that in our brand. I promise you, you're not gonna realize that or no one else is gonna see that ever happen again. And I, my question I like to ask people is, what was the last ad that you saw that you remember? And they go, I don't, know. I don't know. Of course, of course you don't know because you're not, you're just not paying attention as much to that. The consumer is not going to know that either. So getting rid of the romanticism of this to building a, a building a product or brand around, a, uh, around margins that don't make sense at scale. And what I mean that scale is if you're spending hundred grand plus, let's just make it nice, simple math. You're going to get to a point of diminishing return on that specific product, unless you're repositioning it to other consumers that can buy it. For instance, miracle sheets, Sheets that is uh, bacteria, what is it? Antimicrobial anti silver linen, so it gets rid of some bacteria. You can only reposition that so many times to a buying subset until you have to start rotating in a specific offer, right? So if you're not, if you're not already thinking of what this product looks like at high spend, where the diminishing return of ROAS is not necessarily a 4X or 5X, you're, gonna, you're in for some trouble. And you're, in, you're, you're, you're more so going to be struggling to rotate like a buy one, get one or 25% off or 30 that when I do sit and talk with brands, I ask them a simple, simple questions. I go, what does your margins look at at a 15% off discount? What does your margin look at at a BOGO discount? Cool. You understand those. Now, what do those margins look at at half a quarter, a quarter of a million spent? Cause that's the shit that I need to make sure it makes sense or else I'm not motivated. My team isn't motivated to get out of bed and run for $25,000 a month and spend. Well, they also have to know that once they're scaling, 
their numbers at which they're scaling at don't stay the same. It's not like you spend 50,000 out of Forex, you're going to spend a hundred thousand out of Forex, right? Like, or, or 500,000. Like if one number changes, the other numbers change, go with it, which is a perfect, I guess, segue into the next question is what are the important metrics for you to look at as a media buyer? And I guess if you're not a media buyer listening, what are the important metrics for you as a store owner to look at, look at? Cause I think, they, they are different from a day-to-day perspective. I fully agree with you. And I, I did have a document I would pull up and show you again. And let me see if I have it here. Okay, so I can pull you. Yeah, I'll go this one. Okay. So I'm going to screen share real quick. I think that'll pop up for the community, right? Okay. So early, I've done a couple of talks on, on correlations. Correlations of clicks to cart, correlations of carts to purchase. And disregard a couple of these metrics up top but me as my buyer like me as a media buyer me as my team like i need to understand some macro trends of what direction things are improving or not improving on an ad ad set campaign and then zoom out to a product level hard stop right right now i believe when you're analyzing products like you're leading in a traditional e-commerce store is what home page collection page product page maybe a sliding cart maybe a cart page like there's there's clear indicators of a consumer path. Choose the most consistent one. If it's homepage, collection, product, cart, checkout, purchase, that to me is, there's, there's a, a, a drill down effect, right? So if you're measuring, okay, on average from Facebook or from X traffic source, we're getting thousand clicks. Those thousand clicks that actually land on page convert into what carts? Then spider off the next question, are we having text? Are we having abandoned recovery? How frequently are those coming up? I don't even want to go into that. I'll let Chase cover that shit. Um, but what me as a buyer is, I'm looking at correlations between click to cart, cart to purchase. And if those start fluctuating on a day-to-day basis, something is off and it might be my shipping, which we found very, very easily. It might be that page on traditional Shopify checkout is slow as shit or it's, or it's not converting as quick as I'd like it to. Um, and so for me, when I have a, a, a full dashboard of what our actual AOB is, major major importance to me and people that don't spend enough time on that even if i were to go into some of our dashboards where we look like over all-encompassing our ads there's some campaigns that are dropping you on a product page and that product page from there you're only able to add a specific product to the cart you're not getting the high enough aob so you might be running traffic to a product page and you're going fuck i can't make this work but as soon as you zoom out to the collection or if you improve product page and allow for bundling your AOB goes to the roof and now that shit's profitable or now you can scale into that. So people aren't pulling AOV on a, on a per, per campaign basis or per ad basis that I think they, they probably should. That's my biggest recommendation. And then on a store, if you're not a, a, the marketer or the media buyer, you're looking at your, your inventory levels. You're looking at the amount of what your volume is per day and where, where majority of this traffic is coming from. Like that to me is, is, is a hard stop. So let's talk, I mean, where your traffic is coming from. We all know attribution is a mess, right? There's, there's never full attribution. So now let's say you're a store owner and you hired a media buyer to do Facebook ads. You hired another media buyer to do Google ads. You hired another marketing firm to do email marketing. They're all coming in claiming that they're hitting it off the charts for you. How do they make sense of everything going on? Oh, I hate this question so much. Um, and as an agency owner, I'll give you my straight honest answer. And I, there might be some clients that are listening to us too. So I'm, I'm welcoming this conversation when it comes. Put everybody on a, on, on a one-day click, seven-day click basis. 
make make them map towards a click only revenue target because attribution for us like we know facebook's going to claim more than it says it's a first touch bit play you already know it's not going to match up to google analytics and any other platform you're running is going to claim it so my easiest answer there is make everybody shorten up the window and be very realistic on what it is each each channel is bringing to you because it all works together it really does spill over. You're not even bringing into consideration some Amazon traffic or some Amazon revenue that doesn't show up anywhere in any of our dashboards. So my shortest answer is, I don't know attribution, so I'm not gonna try and play in that space like I do. Move everybody to the shortest window that they're willing to accept and make the decisions on cash in, cash out. Ultimately, if you're profitable on, on day one on a click basis, it should map up to whatever your uh, dashboard is or revenue board that you're looking at to be profitable because for me we focus on two parts bottom of funnel top of funnel but we're not ignorant to like other channels that are running we, we definitely know we're not driving all of it and so it usually is an ongoing conversation how do you approach it with your stuff so i mean at the end of the day i, I so I, I used to have my own brand right so i'm i understand this question I, I i get it but now being on the other side of the table i understand and just studying so so like i mean you and i we've been in the back end of so many different businesses right now like we could probably like become business consultants let alone like marketing consultants and go in and, and help people with their overall business because some of the numbers just don't make sense at all mm -hmm. uh but i there's so many touch points now before someone makes a purchase that at the end of the day i don't think they're they're all right or they're all wrong i think it's just the nature of the game right now and if someone saw your ad and then never did anything or clicked on your ad, never did anything. And then 15 days later, you know, saw, saw a YouTube ad for it. And then, you know, finally went to the website, kept it on there. And then your email picked them up in an abandoned, an abandoned browser, abandoned cart. Great. You got a sale. Why, why are we trying to like sit there and say, no, this sucks. This didn't work. This didn't work. I think at the end of the day, if you're a business and I know this is, this, this may be a little bit controversial, but if you're a business owner, you got to look at marketing dollar spent, advertising dollar spent, revenue made. I think that's where you kind of have to look at it. And if you're not being profitable that way, then maybe come start zooming in a little bit and figuring out where, where are you most profitable? Where can you double down? Where can you go? But at the end of the day, revenue in, advertising dollars, advertising dollars out, like that's where you kind of have to look at it. If you're being profitable that way, you scale and you keep going because it doesn't matter what you're going to do. If you shrink all your windows, like you said, and you're still not profitable in advertising dollars like that you're paying versus revenue, doesn't make a difference. So at the end of the day, we're not just competing with, with other platforms anymore, right? Like you got, you got kids, your kids yell at you while you're searching for something on your phone. So you put your phone down, um, you text it to yourself to, to check it out later and then you never do. And then you get an email for it and you're like, Oh man, I'm going to open that email. But then you leave your computer cause your wife calls you upstairs cause it's dinner time. And then you're watching TV and a commercial comes on for the brand that reminds you of it. So you Google it and it pops up and then you buy who's responsible for it. Who did it? Right. Who started that? They all did it. They, they, that's nowadays. That's the journey. It's not, I remember when I first started my first job, they told me it takes seven touch points to, for someone in order to make a sale. You got to call someone seven times in order to make a sale with them. Now, if, if you look at that from an online perspective, we're probably at like hundreds, hundreds, easily. At hundreds least, of touch points. At least. Yeah. I mean, so 
that's how I address it. And, and some clients aren't happy with that answer. They want to go deeper. And I'm like, you're never going to get exact measures because these platforms don't play nicely with each other. They don't, they don't add up and they all favor their own. So, um, I, that's, that's kind of how I look at it and, and, and we leave it at that. And, and I try to have that conversation with them very, very early on so that there's no headaches going forward, especially if we're not going to handle everything in house, our own house. Cause then I could just look at it, total advertising dollars spent, including agency fees, money made. But when you have to break it down and let's be honest, I love Google, but it, for anyone running Google ads and for any brand, make sure they exclude brand branded search when they give you their numbers. You want branded search, I don't get me wrong, I, don't, I believe in paying for branded search because otherwise your competitor is gonna buy your name. But like when they're showing you you're making 15X on, on Google, ask them what it looks like without branded search and see, see the number. Touche, touche. Let's talk ROAS. <laughs> let's, let's talk, let's talk a, why is that number so sexy versus lifetime value, repeat customer rate? I mean, bringing in new clients is great, acquisition is so important that's how we should look at it of like you're acquiring the customer but like chase and i had this conversation and i said i hate roas like as a and i'm a, i love facebook but if i'm growing a brand then two numbers i look at is ltv and rcr i get you so i think with ltv and rcr you're banking on that they have the historical data to actually give you a real number that actually makes sense so a lot of the, think about it, a lot of the businesses that I'm working with they're in year, what, three of existing. They're still pretty new to the dot-com space. They don't have the LTV or the products that they have built aren't really a repeat purchase play, right? So I do ask this. I go, hey, I see majority of your revenue is coming from product A. What's the likelihood of them buying your B, C, or D? And what, what does that look like? For ROAS, why it's so sexy, why we have to play and we can't neglect it is because that's like the earliest indicator and that's the number one way someone can judge how I'm doing and someone can judge how you're doing. So we, we, we hate it, but it's how we live and die, right? Yesterday I posted a video or I posted a screenshot, um, six X on hundred thousand dollars spend a million in return, right? That got so much response when it actually isn't what I wanted to talk about. What I want to talk about is this is what happens when brands understand what they're trying to do and they understand the strategy of paid media to email. Yet everybody focused on how sexy that was. That wasn't because we have good Facebook ads. That's because they had a good email campaign with a limited edition drop um, at the right time during COVID. So it's, it's that talk. Context was missing. So much context. And that's usually, I mean, I know what I'm doing. Oh, that's the <laughs> screenshot culture we live in, right? I know exactly what I'm doing when I make a post like that because two reasons. One, we have an event coming up in September. I need my reach to continue to stay as high as possible. I need that engagement on these ads. This is how we get in front of you. Plain and simple, I, I've been in the game for a little bit, so I understand what levers to pull when it's time. But ROAS for me, why it's sexy, I actually would like to talk more about like CAC. If we can talk about CAC, it's easier for them to understand, okay, I, I know where my dollars are going because if I spend enough to acquire what, that initial purchase or that initial revenue in, I'm anything after that's gravy, right? And so I don't think we can talk too much about LTV because the brands that we work with aren't fully legacy like they're like we have a one foster grant which has been around forever but they're only about a year and a half into their online space they don't have that data so how could you approach someone well let's let me talk ltv with you when they're going like well i don't think i'm going to be able to be around unless i get a higher roas to get the revenue in my bank account to continue to fund your ass so that's why i can't play with it what do you think well yeah i, I just it comes down to like 
I, I totally agree with you. But at the same side, I'm looking at like, if you work PR and you worked in, in TV, you don't get those, those questions. There's no, there's no ROAS and yet they're still so willing to throw money at it, but there is no direct correlation. There is no metric, but I, I think, I think we've actually did it to ourselves. I think the fact that you have people who post, you know, screenshots of 12 X and, and without, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying the people without any context, without showing what they spent or, or do anything, the people who, who just post those screenshots, we made it the number to look at. We've, we did this to ourselves. I don't think, I don't think any clients come on to me and be like, okay, tell me about ROAS, right? Like they only know about it because we flash it. True. So, but they also don't, they don't call it a direct PR. They don't call it direct billboard. They don't call it direct, like they, it's direct response marketing. D, DR is what we do. It means you're going to directly get an understanding of how this is working. So I think by, by our choice, like if anything, I would love to do non-performance PR and fucking throw up billboards left and right. Cause I think that's where the real money is. It's like, Oh, I think it's working. Are you sure? I don't know. People are seeing it, aren't they? You can't take that stance online. I remember when we were running for Apple and we would drop like the iPhone seven and you're like, all right, you have a couple million dollars to target uh, Europe. I'm like, cool. What's our metric? They're like, what? Just do the reach of frequency. All right, budget go. And that was, that was the game. That was, we want eyeballs. I don't give a shit who does it. I want people to look at it. So I was, I, I was blown away when I got another direct response because I started realizing, wow, these are, these are real dollars in, these are real dollars out. Roast is sexy because it's a judgment of how, how we're currently doing on that one day. But you and I both know it's going to increase within a seven day or 28 day. So even when we're having to build projections, oh man, I, we got this question. And I think this might be a good transition. I would love your opinion on what does Q4 look like? So my brands are asking me, okay, we need to start planning of what we should do so we can do some inventory projections Q4. Target announced today that they're not participating in store like Walmart. They're no longer doing the Black Friday, Cyber Monday in-store sale. I guarantee they're not the only ones. I guarantee there's a lot more that can come around that aren't as big as them. So people are going to push it online, which means is it a singular moment now or is it an entire season? And I'm going, okay, how do I plan for this? Well, I can't look at last year because we didn't have a pandemic last year. Um, and I can't look at performance these last three months because there's never been three months like we just went through. What do we, how do we plan? How do we predict? So I'm looking at literally CAC and I'm looking at how many new customers were acquired during this period of time, like you mentioned about acquisition. And I'm not even worried. I'm not even thinking through what the offer should be just yet. I'm just trying to see like if we get the same amount of traffic at this projected cost, and this is the overall cost per purchase we are dealing with, then let's build a model around it. Have you had those talks with your guys yet? So we haven't really jumped into Q4 with clients laying out the strategy internally. We started talking a lot about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're I think the fact that stores are pulling out costs are going to go up online, right? So it's going to be expensive, but I've always planned that way of, of, you know, you could spend the begin you could spend, you know, the beginning of Q4 end of Q3 really building up, right? Like this is where, having a partner like boundless for example really comes in handy because email doesn't cost to compete against other brands yeah. right you're competing against attention you're competing against the inboxes being flooded but if you're doing a good job building value across the board you know you're going to get your your inbox you're going to get your your message opened 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think we've, I can't look at anything in the last three months. That's, that's the weird, that's the weirdest part. Like three months brands have had their, their highs. They've had black Friday, cyber Monday days for like consistent days. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw it back at you with, with a different question. Something I'm more concerned about is expectations from brands now that this is the new reality. Hmm. So I, as in new reality, these are the results that we should expect. These are the high ROAS that we could expect. You know, these are the low, the low CPMs that, that we're going to grow accustomed to. And, and if we don't hit it, it's because we're doing something wrong. But this is the new, this is the new standard. We see this for three months. It's, it's a trend. Yeah, there's no, okay. I love that question. Fantastic question. We've had a couple of these talks already. What, what should we expect? Oh, let's re let's realign on what success looks like is the conversations they like to frame it as. And I go, okay, let's talk about this real quick. Let's, let's zoom out a little bit on the macroeconomic play. People that haven't been working or didn't need to work were collecting a very nice unemployment check. And if they were furloughed, they might be collecting an even consistent check from employers. Cool. Trump sent out a great, great stimulus check. Some people enjoy that. The PPP, and there's a couple of unforgivable loans on the business side. So we're talking consumers were getting paid and the businesses, business owners were getting paid to kind of like cover some costs. Okay. We have another one coming in August, but guess what the all time high was? Not, people not paying commercial rent, people not paying for their mortgage, people not paying for just their apartments. Um, the average consumer, uh, the, the, the two stacks that I read was like the average consumer is choosing to not pay for all, like what is, they're choosing not to pay for meals outside of like the, outside of lunch and dinner. They're not buying breakfast. So like you're giving these interesting stats about the stuff that they're needing to buy as is. So how could you predict that all these people are supposed to somehow have a job consistently when the schools haven't gone back to work, which means the, the middle to lower middle class that need to be in, in an office somewhere that need to be doing things that can't be done at home, have their children being taken care of because the children are in school, that, that entire economy is not getting satisfied. That entire economy hasn't been able to work for a long period of time. And I'm pretty sure in July, unemployment kind of ceased. So I think there's no way that this can be maintained or propped up until potentially the election's over, which is I think November, I think November yeah. when things go down. Trump is not going to allow the, uh, the American culture, at least on his time, for us to not have enough cash to spend right into the work, right into a holiday season where it's aggressive purchasing and gifting. Consumers are going to, as by, by nature, like Americans, we love to spend. Like that's what we like to do. We indulge and we like to we like to spend what we currently have, or if we don't have it, we like to spend. We love credit. So if the banks are drying up and aren't able to kind of supply, uh, get these loans, or able to to pay on these credit. I do believe people are going to stop spending on things that are unnecessary. I do believe the travel sector won't ever come back to where it was before because we're still unable to leave the country, at least on the American side, to, to a lot of the major European countries. People are going to Mexico, et cetera. Um, but there's no way that there's going to be able to maintain this because there's still a large subset of the population that aren't well off or aren't having um, glamorous businesses that are going to have no more cash, plain and simple. So even, even now I see her go, like, when I'm planning on my end, I'm going, okay, people might be more, uh, people might be more focused on 
the deal hunting than most. So I'm actually inclined to do a deeper discount and ask my brands to be like, hey, it's gonna be competitive. I already understand it's gonna be competitive, but we're still gonna be in, in like survival slash um, move inventory mode. So how deep can you go? And I know I don't wanna like say that's the only way to find success, but I believe it's the easiest place to start right now, knowing where the potential pocketbooks of, of the macro group. So I, I kind of had this conversation with Rachel Tipograph. I'm not, I'm not sure if you know who she is. Yeah. yeah. So Rachel, brilliant mind when it comes to the analytical side of, of e-commerce as a whole in, in general. She was saying how a lot of things we're seeing right now is e-commerce got sped up five years. Where we are right now is where we were supposed to be in five years from now. Meaning old people buying online that never buying groceries online, doing things that they could, that they had no choice, but to grow accustomed to. Uh, she also said that, that we're seeing the death of brands, meaning if you don't have what I'm looking for, I'll go elsewhere. There's no brand loyalty anymore. And, and also what you said was that, you know, like the only buying necessities at this point, yeah. like now is the time where like, you're not going to go buy, you don't need, the suit. You don't need the, the luxury watch. You don't need, you're not going anywhere. You're stuck at home. There's nowhere to go. Enough. Yeah. You can't show off to anybody. You don't buy for anybody else. It's more buying for me. Yeah. It's the first thing someone told me. I, I, th I think it, would, it may be one of my sisters who told me this. I have two older sisters and they told me when a girl gets fancy or dressed up for a club at a club, she's not getting dressed up for the guys, right? Like all the guys look at her, but she's getting dressed up for the other women at the club. Ah, uh, interesting. That's something I learned at, at a young age right? That they're competing with that. So yeah, no one gets dressed up. Like you're not buying that suit to sit at home and work from home, right? Like most people are working in their sweatpants when, when they're working from home. Um, that being said, what does I, let's, let's kind of go back just one more second on, on when we've talked about cost per acquisition, Josh from snow was saying how it's now, um, it's now a, you know, the person who could spend the most on the platform wins, hands down. It, that, that's what it, the person who could spend the most to acquire the customer wins. So now if you're a small brand listening to this, how do you feel about that when, you know, I asked Josh that question because one of our clients was a teeth whitening company. And I asked him, I said, straight out, let's just have an honest conversation. He said, well, what do they need? And I started saying, they need a 3X. And he's like, okay, well, what are they advertising on? He's like, man, I'm going to eat their lunch. And that's what he told me. He's like, he's like they're not competition to me. Well, there's two, okay, there's two ways about this. And it, it goes back, I said this earlier, if you are building a brand without the margin baked into it or the price point baked into it, and you can't afford to spend, you're, you aren't gonna scale as fast as you want because you don't have the dollars or the, the, the runway to play with. The perfect AOV is 55 to $85. That's the perfect AOV that you can play with. The margins that you're trying to hope for, 30 plus. Hopefully you get 30 points of margin on any of these. You, we, and we talk about this, especially with the Amazon brands that are jumping off of Amazon and coming to play with us on that dot-com space. They're, they're so, and it's not, not a negative thing. They're very ignorant to what it actually takes to acquire a customer. Very ignorant. So they're looking like, well, on Amazon, I'm doing massive volume and my product is 20 bucks. People are loving, people can't wait to buy something for 20 bucks. And I go, you're absolutely correct. I would love to buy something at scale at $20, but you don't really understand that the cost of shipping, plus I got to spend some bucks to get them to your site and you got to convert them from your site. You and I both know average conversion rates nowhere, nowhere greater than 3% on a traditional Shopify store. So then they start thinking like, oh fuck, it's actually, 
going to chew away my margin. So if your product isn't high enough or your mark, you don't have a, a big enough AOV to play with, you can't, you're not going to find as much success or your actual volume isn't going to be what you want or what you predicted it to be because you don't have enough room to play with it. So why Josh wins is because the, the boy's playing with $130 AOV, 120 minimum. That's if you're not taking any upsells on his, on any of the cartridges or buying his 320 uh, product. So that, that gives you, it's just like, I'm holding the door a little bit wider for me to continue to spend. And the fact that he's willing to lose money on platforms to make money on other platforms. Yeah, because he's, he's trying to, he's, he's going for the block route, right? When you have deep enough pockets, you're able to kind of be like, it's okay, I'm gonna acquire everybody just to kind of smother. Yeah, it's, oh, look, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the number one reason businesses fail is obscurity, right? Like they have to know you exist and they have to remember you exist in order to keep doing business with you. Josh is one person who has no problem flooding the market, letting them know you exist. So let's give the listeners some cool, if you're an owner, store owner, what are some cool trends you see working right now? Okay, so at home, leisure and home, uh, home workout devices is the number one thing that I'm seeing. Right now, we've partnered with a couple of shapewear brands that the, the rise in like this meetings and Zoom meetings is obviously something that nobody's going to be able to collect. That's a lot of major businesses are moving away from that. So developing your space. So we're talking like um, large neon signs, developing how like, look at your background. You have your shelves, you have the things that you love. Those are trinkets. Those are also things that you really care about. And that's your office. You want it a certain type of way. So if you can design your, your, your office or provide something where they're spending the majority of their time now, extreme, oh yes, the classic, the classic spinner. If I was at home, you can see my collection. Um, but I was for you. At home, I was for you. appreciate that. I believe at home workouts, um, you're the, making your space more unique to home goods in general. And for me, what I'm focused on is your car. Like I think there's, I think the, the rise of the car and the rise of like washing your car personally rather than taking it someplace is a nice escapism for, for us that just live on the computer 24 seven. I can't wait. I unwrapped my car the other day, took me six to seven hours, still not finished. And I, why I could have hired someone to do it. Sure. But it was, a, it was something else to do that wasn't involving my computer. What if you're a media buyer? What are some trends going on right now? Um, media buying. So I would look at lead gen to email campaigns. So acquiring a customer and email, sorry, acquiring a customer very cost effectively and seeing what your conversion rates are through email specifically. Um, messenger campaigns. I wouldn't say it's an immediate trend, but we're starting to see like this micro influencer sign up, sign up to be a part of the brand ambassador, but you still have to pay to pay to get into the ambassador program is something that's nobody's doing as much. So we have two brands that absolutely thrive on convincing someone to be a brand ambassador to activate your subscription, to activate your ambassadorship. You need to actually pay for your first product. Oh, by the way, for you, here's your specific dis deep discount on these set of products. You're going to get content from it and you're going to get this person to be a little bit more loyal to you. Second is, Build up your VIP group. People will not spend enough time on this. VIP group, and we just talked about the guys at, the, at Groovrin, we just went through this. If you look at your store right now, if you have someone that's bought three times, you have someone that's spent over a certain AOV, whatever, whatever um, cutoff you wanna choose, start asking them to join your VIP group where you're sharing tips, tricks, you have your community manager running it, you have new product drops you're coming, you have surveys in there. This group is where you can drop your first new offer 
or you can drop a consistent giveaway, which is a nice little hack that we are convincing people to do. Um, put, put a certain, it's kind of like a choose your own discount. Let, let pin it at your top of your group. And each month, you can only choose one or who at first come first serve. So there might be a steep discount of 50% off, only one of those, take it off. Or buy three or spend X. It's a nice way of like incentivizing them like, hey, because you're part of our VIP group, excuse me, you're gonna get this first. Those are probably be my newest t tracks that I think people. So one of the things I love what you just said there was when I had a brand, I used to go look at all the people who, who ordered a lot and I would just devote a half an hour of just calling them. Something wow. that if you have, that if you're a store owner listening to this and you have the time, just pick people who've ordered over a certain amount, pick something crazy and call those people. If they've ordered three times from you in a month, call them. Hey, I'm Jason. Just wanted to say thank you so much. What made it, what do you like about it? And, and just have that conversation. Because then what they do is they then post on social media saying, just got a call from it. And it just keeps going and going and going. But like the best feedback I ever got was picking up the phone and just talking to my customers directly. I don't think anything beats that. Yeah, and it's not scalable, but the things that are unscalable are the, the ones that people are oh, it's, it's definitely not scalable. I mean, that's why I said just spend a half an hour, randomly go through it. And I mean, if you're a small enough brand, you're able to do it. If you're a big enough brand, crank out maybe three of those phone calls. Absolutely. Um, we'll end with, with this. As, as a media buyer, what does your day-to-day uh, -day managing of an ad account look like versus your week-to-week -week versus your month-to-month? -month? Huge question. So thankfully, I'm not having to spend as much time in all the accounts. So I only choose the accounts that are spending about a half a million to a million plus a month. It works pretty simply. So we look at three parts of the funnel. We've broken ours into prospecting, re-engagement, remarketing. I will, I will talk about retention, but we don't spend too much money on past customers unless clients request this. So I'm looking at prospecting specifically at each, each level. It's never together, right? And so we're looking at prospecting. We're looking at a three-day, seven-day, 14. And I'm starting at the campaign level just to kind of see what's happening. Um, and I usually begin at um, in ads reporting. In ads reporting, you can make your own custom metrics, kind of like the dashboard I showed. So I let that be my guiding missile, if you were, to then go into the account and go, why are these trends happening? And I keep accordioning. So three days, seven days, 14, selecting the ones that are performing better or selecting the ones that are not performing. And we're looking day over day. Because I remember anytime you look in your account, it isn't full data. You can't, you have to look at, everything behind you to kind of predict like what potentially could happen today. Cause it's a Monday. How are my last three Mondays? Right. And so the quicker you can surface up that learning prospecting on Monday at this time of the day, look like what for the past month. Cool. I'm, am I aligned? Am I close? Is something off? Do I need to cut budgets? I think I would duplicate that across my re-engagement and my remarketing level on a day-to-day -day basis. I try not to make any, major changes on a day-to-day -day basis. And why, why I say this is because there might just be an off day. There might just be things that just don't make total sense. I'm okay with hitting a pause or, or dropping budgets down. Usually the biggest thing I do. Um, on my Mondays, we always do our media planning and our content, content organization. So we have a nice, great media plan document that we'll either make a loom recording, explain to the client, hey, here's what we're planning on this week based off the last two weeks of performance. Here's the content that we're making for this week based on the last two weeks of performance. Um, and so forth. And we're usually focusing majority on prospecting because that's 60 plus percent of our budgets on re-engagement, remarketing, a little bit less time spent on them because the volume isn't there. 
the only thing that we would like to change at the bottom of funnel is usually content. So we're rotating in either we have some DCT campaigns running the same audience or having a really nice canvas uh, campaign or canvas ad in a campaign running to those audiences as well. Um, the majority of the time is spent on the actual ad performance. Then we go flip flop back into the ads themselves and try to figure out why is that working? Has it been working for a long time? Has it just started working? The day over day trends are very important for me. Um, on a weekly basis, we're looking at the back day. So this is usually happening on Mondays, looking back through the week. There's a lot of reflection. Fridays, I try to do that. But Friday is usually like buttoning up everything that I didn't or did get done on that week and talking to the majority of the team. Um, and then on a monthly basis, we definitely do a monthly look back, but it's more around what do we end up in revenue-wise? What was like, were we off pace? Why were we off pace? Were there certain days that we were off pace? Um, were there certain products that did better that we didn't predict to do better? Let's go find out why. Those, those are a lot of things that come in on the, on the larger scale, but on the day-to-day, -day, we're just trying to make sure that we're not, we're not having any glaring mistakes because over the, over the grand period of time, these day-to-day -day mishaps or day-to-day -day, like letting that one ad run for 30 bucks each day at the end of that week, it's a good amount of budget spent for no reason. So having to, to make sure that that doesn't happen consistently is usually my week month uh, or day week and month look like so now if you're a store owner how often should you be checking your facebook ad account if you're a store owner, i think you should be checking your facebook ad account every three days like here if, if, if i'm a brand owner, or if i'm a brand owner i'm going to get my media plan from my brand uh from the my agency agency's going to say like hey these are all going to be up by monday or tuesday so i'm probably going to check on wednesday to see if there's any spend or any signs of is there an ad working? Is there a product that we didn't expect it would be working? Um, I'm looking at product performances if I have multiple SKUs in the store and I'm checking inventory goals. That's probably the most important for me as the owner of the brand to kind of give that information to my buyers of, hey, we're running out of stock. You might need to lower it or we don't project. Um, we, have a, we have a major campaign coming with an influencer. That, that's the important stuff that we need to know. And ultimately, I hope you guys are focusing on like Hotjar or focusing on updating and building pages. Because we as your buyers don't always have enough time to, to look through the performance of the pages. And that's great insight from the brand. And with this question, we've been super technical. Now, if you're a little bit lost and you're just starting off and you're a store owner and you're not hiring an agency and you want to start an ad account from scratch, how would you structure it? So I'd structure it two different ways. One, I would structure it per product, per product, each campaign. Okay. In each campaign, and I think a lot of people talk about this on a simplified account structure. It's a great way to start to get under to, to understand, have it set it up, and have everything in one. So, if you have product A, put your prospecting and remarketing in the same campaign. People might people might be opposed to this. We're finding great success currently in this account. We're not opposed to running some crazy cost caps or or bid tests. But for you just beginning, if you have one product, put both of them together. Um, and if you have, if you have multiple products, sorry, if you have one product, you can separate them. You can prospect and remarketing and kind of be specific that route. If you have multiple products, keep them uh, together in their own campaigns in the one ad account and focus on content, focus on building out specific personas that you're trying to speak to and let the campaigns or the ad sets in that one campaign per product be the persona, right? So now when you're navigating through it, the easier you can navigate through the account, the quicker you can make decisions. Organization's key in all of it. And that's, that's probably like my media buyer, like 
it has to be said, like my naming conventions have to be right. My campaign structures have to be correct or my OCD really goes wild. Um, but the, the quicker you can navigate, the easier it is for you to make decisions. And if you have simple campaign structures, you can really find out what works, which is the content you guys have running. But stick with conversions. Um, I wouldn't veer away from that as well. Talk about palms down, providing value, um, not only on this podcast, but uh, I, could, I could tell you firsthand, Nick gives away so much of his knowledge and of his brain for free, doesn't ask for anything in return, uh, may not even want you as a client, will probably say no to you as a client if you try to reach out to him. So just like, just wants to help uh, one of the good guys in this business, which uh, trust me that there aren't many. Um, but that being said, Nick, for the listeners who want to reach out to you and they want to, and they want to follow you or they, or they want to reach out in any way, how can they find you? Yeah. So on Instagram is probably the easiest place you can get me is I am Nick Shackleford. Twitter, I'm building up that community as well. So I am Shackleford. And please, any, any comment. I, I thoroughly love this space. Uh, this is giving me a new opportunity. I was a failed athlete previous to this. Um, the internet does not discriminate. The internet only cares about green or red. If you're providing value, I guarantee you, I'm, I'm living testament of this coming back. Uh, we've been able to build a 35, 40 person team on the back of like goodwill and good business. And that all has come down to literally making videos. I started in this space liking and commenting on every single post in Facebook ad buyers group until Tim Bird saw me and goes, come into my office for an interview. I came into the office for an interview and the rest is literally history. So it can start as, as simple as possible. So whether English is your number one language, um, you're in a country that you believe is third world. You still have as much access to the internet or the dot com that I do. And if you have more time, which you probably do, I guarantee you, you can take take advantage of all the free information out there. What's crazy about you is, and and I know we said we we're going to end it, but like you just keep providing insight. Is um, most of the people in this game like seem to have a big ego, right? They believe their way is the right way. You always, and even in this podcast, I realized that you were doing it to, to me on this podcast and, and you do it on Twitter too. And you do it on all your social. And, I, I, and as I'm answering you, I'm like, oh man, he just did it again to me. Is that you always want input because you don't always know or believe that you're right. And that you believe there are other ways to do things. Um, I think the industry and business people as a whole could learn a lot from that. Uh, so, I mean, just thank you for being so real. Thank you for being a genuine person. And thank you for not being one of those marketing douchebags. <laughs> some, some might beg to differ, but brother, it's, you can't, we just can't know the all the answers and, and it comes from a place of respect. You know, what you've been able to do in the space and what you're, you're building a family, like you have two little ones running around. God forbid you're already putting in that time before you even, you can load up the computer. So um, I, I appreciate for all you do in this space and thank you so much for your time, bro. Thank you, brother. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for paying attention to that episode. Look, if you enjoyed it and you're looking to scale your business to the next level or just a bit stuck, we've worked with businesses and helped scale them past seven figures. So we know a little bit what it takes to grow your business. So if you're looking for a free strategy call with myself or a team member to help you and help get you unstuck or help scale your business, head on over to jportnoy.com and book a free strategy call. I'll see you then.